The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. I shared in first service, I, I wanted to give a little, uh, a word of thanks, but also let you know on a little bit of a story, <clears throat> just of how great, uh, how great a church this is and how blessed we are to be here. <clears throat> There's a number of uh, things that Pastor Terry put in place so that while he was able to take his break, that we were going to be able to have some people share the pulpit. He, he had a course for us. He, he, he created a little community for us. That was fantastic. But just the, just the support we have been getting as, uh, as some of the speakers has been amazing. We're getting emails. We're getting calls. Just, this, just the last two days, Kevin had called me and uh, and said, you know, how are you doing? If you need someone to run your ideas by, just give me a call. And then Doug called and said, you know what? If uh, if you need any help, me and the Kevins, Kevin and Kevin, we're uh, we're here. Just give us a call. And he so I, he asked me last night. He said, how's it going? And I said, well, uh, things aren't falling in place yet. And he just goes, well. <clears throat> If your points aren't what you're hoping for, don't worry. You can just give us a different sermon. Just it basically said, if I show up, I at least I get I get passing grades. So I could not believe the support and the flexibility they gave. So why I say that is, uh, every time you send a little word of encouragement, uh, praying for someone who's praying for your church leaders, uh, you're sending them words of encouragement. Uh, I don't think you have, you, I don't know if you know the weight behind those things. So um, welcome here this morning. As, uh, as we get started, let's open up in prayer. Father God, <clears throat> you are awesome. I can't wait until the day we get a chance to, to lounge around with you and have you kind of replay our lives. And let us see how you have glorified your name in circumstances which have uh, currently leave us bewildered, currently leave us with questions, yet, uh, yet we know that you are, you're at work and you're doing amazing things. And we pray, Father, that you may sustain us through those, through those testimonies you're making that you may use us, and uh, Father, for this time this morning, I pray that you may just bless it, uh, let all of us hear your voice, and uh, Father, we think of, of Doug, who's sick today, we, we pray for your blessing upon him, may he get some good needed rest, and for Terry and Pat, Lord, it's just what a wonderful gift to be able to, for them to have that, that uh, sabbatical time with, uh, with each other, and and, and having God moments all over the world. So we, we just want to give you praise for that. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you, uh, are, if you purchased the notes for this study. <clears throat> and I don't know if, you're, if you've been able to follow along with it. But I love the book of John. It is, I find there's a, a boldness to him where the other Gospels kind of lead you into Jesus' story and you're, you get a chance that you're walking with him and you're watching him grow up. John is just, you're just airlifted, dropped in and hitting the road running. And his, his, he is so full with imagery and illustrations that make you 
have to dive deeper to, to kind of comprehend what he says. And uh, I just encourage you, if you, if you are, if you're, Taking part of the study, doing some extra study at home, fantastic. If you're not, I, we just highly encourage you to do so. Today we're going to be, the sermon is entitled, Lord of Life, This Life and the Life to Come. The key verse we're going to be looking at is John 5, 26 and 27. Uh, we're going to, one of the things, if you ask any of the, the people who are going to be speaking for this series... To fit it in the time span we have, we're kind of covering one chapter at a time. And if, as you read through those, you'll realize that one chapter could probably house four or five sermons. So we're, we're kind of doing some Reader's Digest moving pace through the, through the texts. So we're going to be touching on a verse or two, a few verses throughout the whole book of, of uh, John chapter 5. But a heartbeat of it is verse 26, 27. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, between, to judge because he is the Son of Man. Something that I've always found interesting is how people uh, not react to challenges, how challenges have different impacts on, on people. If you look for, if you just Google a list of top things that can be a stumbling block to a non-believer to believe in Jesus, suffering is one of the top five. It's as they can't understand if God is all-powerful, if he's all-great, if he's all-loving, how can this be? And it's a stumbling block for some. For others, our our, the testimonies that are in many devotionals, the, when we go to speakers and we hear the testimonies of, of people who are out in the field, even just walking their faith, very often their challenges are at the heart of their message. And it's in their challenges that they meet God in a way they would never have otherwise. Well, as we start to look at this chapter this morning, uh, I had read through it a few times, and it was just the last day or two. I just get this, it's like a, a dichotomy. It's like two things happening side by side that, that, that kind of just stopped me in my tracks. If you have your Bible open, uh, I wouldn't mind us reading chapter 5, verse 1 to 6. If you'd like to get, uh, find your spot, we'll read that together. If you'd like to stand with me, we'll, uh, we'll read this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now a great number of disabled people used to lie uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned he had been in this condition for a long time, and he asked him, do you want to get well? Please be seated, and may the Lord bless the reading of, of that text. The picture that John starts off with 
in verses 1 to 6 is one that is packed with emotion. If, if you kind of sit there and let it resonate with you, what you see is there is a festival going on. It's a Jewish festival. It's a religious festival. And if you take a little look at a map of where a sheep gate is in perspective to old Jerusalem, it's kind of like the, the north north west corner, north-northeast corner of the, of the bordering, of the border. Now, if you, if you look at there, there's the Sheep Gate, which would, I would say it would be a heavy-traveled path for, the, for their offerings, for their worship. That is the gate that where, the, the, where the, the sheep, the lambs, the sacrifice animals would be led into the the not the tacamon, the <laughs> would be led into the help me temple. Thank you. Would be led into the temple. So you have this. You have this. It's a regular part of their routine. You have the the sacrifice coming in. You have this festival at this time. This festival going on. If you picture an average Christian's a Christian. Uh, festival, what, what, what would you hear? You'd be hearing God's name, you'd be hearing his praise, singing worship songs with his name. You get that picture, and it's like it's, it's there, so close, it's there. Very close beside it is a pool called Bethesda, and that is where a lot of the people who had ailments, who were, who were suffering of different uh, different disabilities, what have you, they were there. That's where they kind of, they, that's where they kind of were, were placed, where they resided, not resided, that's where they, they had some fellowship there. One, one person said it was almost like a hospital. It was a mercy house. So here we have Jesus showing up. I think it's very telling that in a time of a big Jewish festival, one of the big seven of the year, where do we find Jesus? Is, do we find him around the coffee and donuts with the rest of the pastors in the, deep inside the temple? No. Right off the start, we get to see a glimpse of God's heart in his son. Where is he? He's with the people who are suffering, who are struggling. As I see this, I see this almost like this festive nature and I see this picture of, of people who are suffering. Some, the one fellow whose name, who, who is highlighted has been there for 38... He struggled with his health and he's been... He's surrounded that area for 38 years. And he's watching all these people praising God, the offerings coming in, ongoing to their God, their great God. And I had to ask myself, what does, it, what does that whole picture do to that person's faith? Do they start to question God? Do they start to wonder, what's wrong with me? Why, why if, if God is so great, why am, I, why am I still facing the challenges I'm facing? Well, Jesus is going to be unpacking a little bit that, of that this morning. So where do you feel, I was going to say this, we have a seat at the pool, if we're honest with each other. Every one of us in this room can relate to the people around that poolside. Whether it has been something in our past, something we're going through, 
guaranteed it's going to be something we'll face eventually, we can associate with the people around that pool and the challenges they're having. So where is Jesus? Of all the scripture, there is, there is a, an unpacking of God's truth, an unpacking of who he is, but the gospels, the gospels are what we hinge our faith on of the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we go through John, uh, Jesus is showing up. He's, he's changing hearts. He's challenging the status quo. And he wants to, he, we are a safe, it's safe for him to hear our questions. God, why? Jesus, if you're who you are, why? Why is this going on? Why am I still dealing with this? So, we're going to start off with uh, verse 5, 2 to 9. And the, the passage, not the passage, the title of this first point is the healing at Bethesda. And what Jesus is doing here is he is proving, he's trying to prove the relationship with God the Father. In the first service, I said, if, you, if anyone came in here and started to talk like they, were, they had a divine relationship with, with God in the heavens, we would probably as a church be having some conversation with them like, you're, you're not the Messiah, just to let you know. I can understand why Jesus showing up and starting to talk like that is going to ruffle, ruffle a lot of feathers. So he starts to initiate some, some background as to his relationship with the Father. So we get into the text, and the festival's going on, and he find, Jesus comes around, and he finds out that this fellow has been an invalid for 38 years, and he simply asks him, do you want to get well? I think everyone in this room would have a, a degree of some form, uh, of some element of, yes, I, I have some things I'd like to bring to you. D.A. Carson uh, brings up a very, a very significant image here. You don't hear this fellow answer Jesus as if he knows him. You almost get an impression this guy doesn't know who Jesus is. When the Pharisees, when the religious leaders ask him very soon after this passage, they ask him who healed you, and he couldn't really give a name. But the hope that is in his heart comes out blunt and clear. See, in the pool, there was this, uh, it was like a folklore belief. Every once in a while, the, the, the waters would stir. And there was the belief that it was the, an angel was coming down, they would stir the water, and the first one in the pool would actually get their, their, their ailment healed. So when you look at what he, how he responds, he starts to talk about, he doesn't say, yes, I want you to heal me. He says, the water. Every time I try to get into the pool, I can't get in fast enough, someone else gets me in. What's he saying? He wants the first in the pool to get healed, and it hasn't been happening. So Jesus asks him if he wants to get well. He explains how he wants to get in the pool, and Jesus just says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It's great for the person who gets healed, is it not? It's great for the one who gets the right phone call from the doctor. It's great for the one who gets the promotion. When it's a good day, it's a good day. 
But when I started to look at this, I'm thinking, okay, the one person got saved and leaves. We're told there was many people who would frequent that pool all the time. We are more of the masses than the one who gets amazingly healed. What do you think they're all saying? Why him? What, what am I doing wrong? Am I not on God's, am I not there with him? Well, it's a, it's a hard pill for us to always kind of put in this perspective, but in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, we get that, we get that message that uh, God's ways are not what we always understand. I think of, uh, I think of back of, of missionaries that, I, that have been instrumental in my walk with the Lord. And most of those stories that I have listened to are not these amazing, fun trips. They have been, they have been faith life-testing journeys that they've come out of, and they say, praise the Lord. So God is, God is doing stuff, but we don't always see it. And then the other thing is, it's just so, it's just so bold in the, in the, to, to even say it, but who is this person that just healed the guy? Sometimes I think when we approach our Bible, we open it up, we kind of, we take it as almost like a good storybook. Like, oh, Jesus healed and he parted the seas and, and this and this and this. But if we're starting to think about this man who walked on the earth, who has witnesses of being crucified on a cross, placed in a tomb, and then seen afterwards, do we take him for who he really is? I keep thinking, when I was thinking about it, this guy came up to someone, healed them, and then went into the crowd. I pictured that happening today. Someone walked down the aisle, approach one of you, heal them, and I, I had this image, I'll be the only one left in the church, everyone's just going to go follow that guy. We would want to know more about the guy who could do that, would we not? In regards to who he is, he's showing, uh, he's, his testimony is telling us more about the Father who sent him. As Doug mentioned in, his, in the second sermon of the series, he says the signs were not something to attract attention like a, like a traveling show. It wasn't something random. Jesus specifically performed miracles or signs to do one of two things in each of, the, each of those elements. It either highlighted who he was or highlighted his ministry. So here you have Jesus. He heals one guy and he leaves. But he, what, has he had, what has he done? He's gotten a whole bunch of attention, a whole lot of people talking. So one of the things that would be very easy to connect is if we were if we were living in that time frame, there was they say the the world has groaned, we have it has is ached from creation to humanity since the fall. We don't even realize the depths of the impact that has on our everyday life. We have not lived that day of freedom, of of distraction, of sin, of Satan's influence. We haven't tasted that fullness yet. But he's pointing us towards something. 
the people who were at that time, if someone walked up and with their voice just spoke, spoke healing upon someone and it happened, it would not have been, you saw it with the woman at the well, it would not have been that far of a jump for them to think, they've talked about the Messiah for a long time. The one who is going to heal our land. The one that will reestablish the Lord's kingdom. The one who's going to take this stuff away. Could that be him? Well, for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to dive into everything in the, in the chapter. But one of the things that we're just going to kind of take a little snapshot of is the reaction of the Jewish leader. Here is a fellow who has who has been healed of something that I would be surprised if the locals don't know him, if he's been surrounding that, 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 that mercy pool for 38 years. He is walking around with his mat, and here's one of the religious leaders who sees him. His reaction is so telling. You don't get a sense like, I've never seen you walk before. What happened to you? Who, who, who helped you do this, but in a positive light? What does he do? He sees, Jesus, he sees the fellow walking around, and he, and he brings up, you're, you're, you're breaking the law. You're, you're, you shouldn't be doing this. It's the Sabbath. He's the, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He made it. He made it to draw attention to himself and his father. And the reaction is, is one of... of not even looking at the blessing. It's, it's, it's a stumbling block to what they end up saying. So one of the th- some things that we just get in that little interaction are there's people who will look at Jesus and just not look at him favorably. You can hear those voices in the, in the news. You got your Jesus? Fine. Keep your Jesus. Don't bring him in my home. Don't bring him up in relationship. Don't bring him up in my school. Don't, don't take him out of every prayer our nation knows, just get rid of him. There's people who just don't want him. There's those, the the religious leaders are a symbol of this, where sometimes, sometimes the people of faith can be a stumbling block, where we have our own little traditions that we, we hold on to. In verse 10 to 11... There's people who are, are just unable to visually see. They're spiritually blind as to what, uh, what, wh- who Jesus is and what he's doing. So Jesus is clearly giving proof that his relationship, that he has this relationship with his father. So let me ask you, if, if you have, if, if Jesus does this miracle, would you not think of rethink the stuff he's told you in the past? Would you not listen to his words a little more clearly in case this isn't, this isn't some guy walking around doing something interesting? If this is the Messiah, let me go back to the Bible. Let me find out what exactly this is, what is happening here. He's speaking with authority. So we have some of the things he has said as he's come blatantly out and said, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He says, yet to all who, dis- who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
do we, do we hear that Jesus has done this and still approach him like a storybook character? Instead of, a, instead of someone who is God incarnate, who, who has an insight into our soul, a path of eternity with him. How, are we, how do we approach him? The, uh, the second point. Uh, I went over time in first semester, so they gave me this little shock collar, so they'll start pulling it any, uh, any time now. The, the second point, the Sabbath, the man's defense, and the rise of conflict. Uh, here Jesus is, is responding to the questions to what authority he does these things. In verse 14, we see Jesus, the man whom he healed, uh, he finds him and he walks up to him and he says, see, you're healed. I sometimes think he's having a little bit of of a little nudge there. So you've tried the water so many times, you're healed now. How did that happen? Letting the guy refocus on who it was that helped him. I personally can find myself in the trap more often than not, looking for the, swim, the, the swirling pools, the different ways of, of, of dealing with situations, and I'm embarrassed to say turning to my God is not always my first step. It was neither his. So this warning, he, not this warning, Jesus sees him, he says, you're well again. Now this is where he starts to shift his, his, his purpose. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. As Jewish leaders began to question Jesus and persecute him um, for claiming a relationship with God and breaking the Sabbath, Jesus almost steps into like a court case picture. It says Jesus stood to defense, to, to give his defense. Now, uh, again, we are, we are shortening up an entire chapter in three fairly small points. But there's, there's a few things that Jesus highlights that emphasize that or backs up his story of authority. One is the fact that his father is always working. John testifies about it. Uh, we have, um, Jesus comes right out and says, where's my authority coming? Well, let's, let, let me start off with this. My father never stops working for you, for his will and for you. He never stops. He says that we have the right to become children of God, This is all things that the Father is working on. He wants us to be spiritually reborn. The children, not born of natural descent, not born from husband, but but born of God. He is doing an in-working in your your spirit. I I just want to share this very quick story. It was part of my seed that was planted in me, and then how so far away from God I was. So I go to Providence. And uh, I had felt an inkling in my heart that that prov would, that that I, I was getting a chance. I was getting a feeling like God was doing something in me, and I was longing for a community where people had other beliefs, sim- uh, similar beliefs than I did. 
So we, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in Providence one day. It's one of the first semesters that I'm there, and they have this matchmaking game. And uh, one of the things they said was they were trying to find friends that had similar interests to you. So I can still remember that. I walked in a prov, I'm wearing cowboy boots, black leather jacket, shaved head, and I'm standing by this, by this booth. And the one question they said, uh, is, is your wife mostly, would she more closely resemble uh, Mother Teresa, your mother, or Mary? And I can still remember the look on the face of the girl beside me. I said, who's Mary? And she looks at the confused cowboy biker looking guy and like, I was so young in my faith. I, had, I didn't know who Jesus' mother was. But you know what? The Lord was working through my, my friends who I, I started to share. You know, I'm thinking of going to Providence. That they would get the Sean they knew. And to see me in the church being a pastor years later. You have no idea what the Lord wants to do through you. If, if we let him in, he's working. The other thing that uh, he, Jesus does to show that he's like to prove, his, um, to prove his authority is he is the atonement lamb. Not only is his father working, he's always working. Jesus stresses that not only is the father doing what he's doing, he even shows his son what he's doing. Jesus proclaims in verse 20 that the Father will show him even greater things than what, Jesus, than what Jesus has been doing so that we are amazed that we're caught in awestruck. God is working. Now it's here that Jesus gets granted two things from the Father that are usually held back for God himself. One is life and one is judgment. Both of these honors that the Lord has entrusted to Jesus have a current and a future element. I'm really going to try to quicken this up. Granting life. What does that mean? What does that mean? Why should we listen to him with the granting of life? In, G in John 1, 4-5, Jesus, it, it's described, Jesus, in him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When, when sin enters a life, it's like pulling the electrical cord out of the wall. There's no more juice coming in. That there's a disconnect that cannot be made any other way of being repaired except through Christ alone. I can remember, well, oh boy, there's some good stories I want to tell you, but I think I'm going to... The wages of sin is death. So there's, there's, this, there's this disconnect, and what God offers through his son is that belief in his name, he can forgive the sin and reconnect us with the Father. He can give any soul living today the chance to reconnect and have a relationship with the Father. When I hear someone talk about the Father and, and just push him away, one of the things is they don't understand. They just don't get it. I'm going to tell my story really quickly. So when the, Jets, when the Jets were last here, I was at the very last game. It was, if you were there, it felt like a, a morgue. 
To the very last minute, we thought they were going to be saved and the confetti would fall. Before you know it, the lights were out. Everyone was leaving. Hardly a word. Tears all over the place. Well, now the Jets come back and I, I've never seen the game. I heard it's bigger. I heard it's different. I've never tasted it. Couldn't see it. It's not the same on TV, so I heard. And then a friend lets me come with him to the game. I, I don't know how you're going I cried. I literally cried. When the fans yelled, what did they yell? True North. If you've been in that room, you can't, you can't describe it. You can't describe it. When people do not have a connection with the Lord, you cannot feel what is possible. You cannot feel what you have in the Lord until you're reconnected with Him. The, the judgment now, one of the things that Jesus can tell, He can read a heart. And He can tell if someone is accepting Him by lips or accepting Him with a full buy-in. You don't get saved by driving by a church. You don't get saved by a prayer. The whole rabbi-student approach in the Old Testament was, was basically, there's the rabbi, there's the student. You have, they know each other's voice, they speak, they know how each other eat. It's a relationship. <clears throat> John R. Stott says, before we can even think about the cross of what Jesus can do for us, we have to see it as something done by us. We have to take ownership that one, hey, I'm a sinner, hate to admit it, but I am, and two, I can't fix this. I have to own this, and I have to approach Jesus, or the cable never gets plugged back in. And the last, the last point is uh, Jesus' defense statement. This is for the verse, chapter 5, verses 31 to 47. Uh, C.S. Lewis made a statement once. He said, Jesus is either crazy, a liar, or he's God. Jesus spoke with authority and with what, within the opening chapters of the gospel, he's made incredibly profound statements. If you read it, you're thinking, especially in our culture today where, you know, Jesus, you're one of many. Uh, you're not the only way. There's many ways. How dare you say Jesus is the one way? Uh, in that culture, for Jesus to stake claim on authority, uh, one of the things he does at the end here is he starts to list his, the testimonies that proclaim who he is and that support him. And I'm just going to list them. You need to go back in the text to kind of really in, enjoy these, to savor them. But he talks about his father gives him testimony. The works that his father has assigned him and that he is doing gives him testimony. The Father who himself in his word gives him testimony. The scriptures profess who he is. And I would say, I added one more, and it's you. For someone who is not a person of faith, turning to the Bible as their source book, it's, that holds as much, as much respect as Lord of the Rings. It's, it's, they don't understand it. They think it's archaic. They don't want to see it. What you give are the live footprints of God in your life 
that testify to what Jesus has done in your heart, what he's doing in your home, and what, what that Jets game looks like in real life, in relationship, once you're reconnected with God. So I, I know I'm going over. So I'm going to, I finished with this um, the, during the first, some, the first sermon. There is a lot of talk in the scriptures about law, um, about witness, testimony. It can feel like a, a legality. There was something that happened to me at Prov that uh, changed my faith overnight, and it's never been the same. I had a crush on the girl who is now my wife, and... Uh, I went and got a Valentine. I was the dorm brother. As the brother, I was one of the guys in the dorm. We all, the guys' dorms, the girls' dorms, partnered up. We'd do events and stuff. So I got one of those, like, grade two Valentine cards. You know, you push them out, sign them. And I sent her one. And she assumed that I sent them to all the girls. So she writes me this little note. And uh, nice little comments, happy Valentine's Day, a little Tigger sticker. Uh, here I am, I'm like 27 years old and like a little lovesick puppy, I have this note on my bulletin board in my room. And I'm, one night I'm sitting there, I'm working on a paper and I just couldn't work. I, she was on my mind, uh, I am just staring at this thing and it was... It was so real to me that I, f I looked over my shoulder. I'm the only one in the room, but the Lord spoke to my heart so, so intensely, and he said four words. He said, love me like that. And I got it. It wasn't a belief system. It wasn't a belief system. It's not something, it's not a rule book. He wants to know he's the one and only. He wants to know that as messed up as I am, he's never going to leave me. He wants to know that he wants me to lose sleep over not being with him enough. He wants to be my first love. So as I leave, as we, as we wind this up this morning, I want you to... Think of if you're not in that first love mentality, not your membership card in a church, not your I've been a member, I've, I've, I, I go to church, I, whatever. You know the image of a first love. You're fully devoted, one and only, all the time, and if you're separated, it drives you crazy. He's looking for that kind of love from his kids, from us. So I just want to leave you with these thoughts. The Lord has a gift for you. Why reject it? Why would you not give him the opportunity to get into your heart and give you something, not amazing consumer-oriented, but a relationship with the Heavenly Father through his Son that would change your world, rock your world? Don't fight him 
If you're not understanding him, instead of just tossing him away, start to pray the prayers, God, I don't understand you. Do something in my heart so that I can. Surround me with someone who can help me. And, and last, uh, it comes right out of the scriptures, but seek him with all your heart. Like a lost one that you just will not let go of, uh, seek him with all your heart. So I uh, want to thank you. Thank you for not zapping me back there. Uh, uh, let's, let's close in prayer as the worship team comes forward. Father, you, uh, you bring us, you, you don't just bring us hope, Father. You, you want to give us life. Life that makes this one just look like it's, it's tarnished material. And, uh, and we know, Father, you, your name gets glorified with every soul that just jumps in that pool and resonates with you and walks with you and loves you as their first love. So I pray, Father, that as we go from here, Father, that the, uh, your words will resonate in our hearts, that you will guide us uh, into a deeper relationship with you, and dare I say, one that one that passes the first love test, that it's, that's a genuine want to be with you all in and not, not a membership card kind of love. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. I want to give a word of encouragement to Sean. Uh, you didn't make any kind of mistake as bad as the one I made. When I was preaching one time on Jonah and I said, with full enthusiasm, how would you like to have a whale of a belly? <laughs> we're all human that way. But also we're caught up immensely with huge issues that God expects to fit into our small brains. And that becomes a very difficult thing unless we wrap it up at the end in a way that answers and pleases God as well as ourselves. And so let us raise our arms to heaven and I'll pray for you to God Almighty. Our Father, who art in heaven yet influences our lives, hallowed be your name. And when we stop and let our eyes get accustomed to the brilliance of that holiness, help us to see in that holiness your beauty, your grace, and your endless mercy. Our Father, your kingdom come, the kingdom full of love and compassion, a kingdom that can give us all the longing and the hope that we have yearned for in this crazy, upturned world of ours. We do pray your kingdom come. And, O oh Lord, your will, your will be done. Because only then will we get caught up 
in your wisdom, and in your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.